We're going to take a look into Scripture. We are in Ephesians 4.25, and we are reading all the way through Ephesians 5.2. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Ephesians 4. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you one. If you have a tablet, you can pull up the Bible on there. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, And speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There was a banker once who prided himself on being a very fiscally responsible man. He was very conservative with his money. Uh, When he thought about how other people around him handled their money, he kind of was like, you know, these people. Uh, He was one of those guys. He was very responsible with his money. Uh, This banker was married to a school teacher uh, who he loved dearly and they had two small girls. One was 10 and one was 9. And these uh, were his life, just providing for the family. They lived in a modest home. Again, a very conservative gentleman. Um, Everything was going fine until one day something very much out of control happened to this family. The banker's wife became ill. And it wasn't just something simple. It was a rare degenerative disease, one of those one in 500,000 situations. And she became very ill. And they went to get screened and tried to find different, different things. There wasn't much out there, but there was one hospital that was doing experimental treatments. And you hear about this. There will be t- hospitals where they develop these, these ways of treating things. And so... This was her only shot. And so, uh, after looking into it, the realization was insurance is not going to cover any of this. None of it. And so, the banker did something that he hadn't really ever done before. He took out a loan for a very large amount of money. Very large. It was so large it almost made him sick to his stomach. The only other loan he'd ever had was his mortgage which he'd paid off in 15 years um, of the 30 years that he had allotted for that modest home. So he took out this giant loan 
they went through a round of treatment and the treatment began to work which was very exciting to everybody and the specialist said this, this worked very well but you're going to need probably one to two more applications of this treatment and you know how expensive this can be and so the banker took out another loan as big as the other one we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars um, and then another one and again this wasn't terribly difficult for him because his finances were in order his credit was excellent it wasn't a problem and the wife made a full recovery uh, though she was not able to work as she was still very weak and kind of recovering uh, and so she wasn't working his work was sketchy at best as far as his time and taking care of the kids um, and then once he was in that much debt being a banker obviously that can be difficult to work with people when you have a lot of debt and it's kind of your specialty he was ha- he was having great difficulty and uh, it looked really bad even if they sold their house it wasn't even going to touch it it was a massive amount of money a hole they could never recover from a friend of theirs was an advocate type person and this friend started writing letters to whoever she could think of and one of the letters came to someone in the city who knew this uh, this banker had done business with him and it wasn't really anything for this guy he just he said you know what I'm going to pay this off and um, it was this amazing thing can you imagine all this debt this guy was weeks away from losing his home uh, he was getting threatening calls and all this kinds of stuff. Everything was kind of falling apart, and he got this call, and it was all taken care of by this benefactor. Amazing story. And they went on almost as if nothing had ever happened. He got back into his job. His wife went back to being to teaching, and uh, the girls grew up. The house was, was safe. They even began to start saving again, which was something he really enjoyed doing. So, about... Ten years later, his girls were in university aged, and so they were applying to schools. And the schools his kids uh, got into were expensive types of places, like Skidmore, you know. They were expensive, and he didn't want to. Some of you Skidmore students are like, yep, we know. And he didn't want to, you know, get in the way of his kids uh, and their dreams and aspirations and potential, and so he was going to help them with their school. But money became tight again, you know, around the house. And, uh, and so he began thinking about how to kind of pay for these things. And so uh, he remembered that three years earlier, he had lent a friend of his wife's, uh, a college friend of his wife's, $15,000 for an investment. The man was like an entrepreneur. And uh, he lent this $15,000 to the guy. And he said, well, I'll, I'll give him a call. It's, legally, it's time for him to pay the, pay the amount. So he called the guy up, and the guy said, well... I lost the money in the investment. It was a bad investment, and I'm not going to be able to pay it. I need more time. But the banker was like, you need to pay this back with interest. That was the legal agreement we came to. The man just begged him, will you please give me time? But the banker said, we need this money now. I've got to pay for my kid's school, and kind of pressured him in that way. You know the expression, don't shoot yourself in the foot? We've been reading in Ephesians about the idea of being a healthy body of Christ 
with Jesus as the head. The body is a, a biological metaphor. The head is, is Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians talks about. And today we're talking about how to keep the body of Christ from shooting itself in the foot. That's what today's message is about. We literally can impede our own progress as a church body uh, by shooting ourselves in the foot. And this passage is about rejecting what destroys community and taking on what builds up community in the church. That's what this passage is about. I want to go, go to the end of our passage, uh, Ephesians 4:32, and read through 5:2. And for me, this is the basis this is the basis of why we would change these behaviors. It says, "Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The basis for us changing the behaviors that are talked about in the beginning of this passage is that we have been treated kindly by God. God is the wealthy benefactor who has taken us out of a hole that we could not do anything about and then set our feet on solid ground and redeemed our lives. The minute we lose sight of that, the minute we take a brother or sister in Christ by the neck and demand repayment of the tiny little debts that they owe us compared to what Jesus extinguished, the minute we do that, we scorn the love, mercy, grace, and kindness of the Lord. That's what we do. Just like the man in the story. In fact, it says in Romans 2.4 that we are not to show contempt for the riches of God's kindness. The way we show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance and patience, is by not allowing what God has done to transform our lives in the present. The way, not allowing what God has done to transform the way we treat other people. And, you know, the body of Christ, when it loses sight of the kindness of God, and kindness is like love in action. Kindness is the forgiveness, the grace, the love, benevolence, the patience of the Lord Jesus. The minute we lose sight of how much God has forgiven us, and we lose that humility of having been forgiven of a debt we can never repay, that's the moment when we begin shooting ourselves in the foot, pow, as the body of Christ. We take on all these different behaviors that scorn what God's done for us. And really we become very much like the man in the story. And you might notice that story is similar to another parable that Jesus told in the Bible. So this is something that, um, this is something that's deeply in the heart of God, that we not be that person who treats others, uh, any di- that treats others as in any different way than God's treated us. We have been forgiven in Christ. So we are to imitate God. We are to be kind and compassionate because God forgave us. Amen? We're going to go back to the beginning of the passage. Uh, and we're going to look at these behaviors that we are supposed to consider, not consider, we are definitely supposed to change based on what God has done for us uh, in, in Christ. And the really interesting thing is, these behaviors are all things that all of us would say are not good things to have on us. You, you read in the beginning of the passage, lying, deceit, fits of rage. These are all things that all of us would say, yeah, these aren't really a good idea for people in the body of Christ. But yet, we do them. We do them. And why do we, why do we act in these ways, even as Christians, 
it's because we've forgotten the grace of God. We've forgotten the kindness of God. We've scorned the grace of God, and we've just been like, we, we, we've lost our humility, and we just begin plowing forward uh, and hurting the body of Christ. So we're going to go first to Ephesians 4.25, the first section. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Christians do lie, believe it or not. Uh, Christians lie in big and small ways. If anyone tells you differently, then they're lying. Yes, even Christians lie. Anyone that loses sight of the kindness of God just begins to take on these kinds of behaviors. Uh, Instead of lying, this passage says we are to speak truthfully to our neighbors because we're all members of one body. You see, if we don't speak truthfully to our neighbor, we're shooting the body in the foot. We're hurting the whole thing in many ways. When you tell lies, big and small, when you bend the truth, exaggerate, basically when you try to manipulate circumstances by by telling shades of lie, you dim the lights in the room. That's what you do. You allow it into your household, and and if if you're a Christian and your household is a a Christian household, you're you're dimming the lights in your household, lying to your wife, lying to your kids, lying to your husband. Uh, That's what you're doing. You're taking the lights down. It says in 1 John 1, 5, one of my very favorite passages, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. It says in, uh, in James that God is pure light, or Hebrews. You know, it's James. He doesn't change like the shifting shadows. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. When we lie, when we allow falsehood in any of its forms to be present, we dim the lights in the room. It also says in John 8.44 that when the devil lies, he speaks his native tongue. So you see this idea of truth being light, lies being darkness. And what this is saying is, in the body of Christ, when we lie to one another, when we lie to, even to ourselves and, and other people, we start dimming the lights, we dim the lights, we dim the lights. And who wants to be responsible for dimming the light in the body of Christ? But this is what happens when we allow lies in. The most powerful principle, the most powerful conversion experience that I had beyond my salvation was years ago when I decided to be painfully honest about the truth of myself with trusted uh, brothers in Christ. When I decided that I would put off falsehood and I would say, look, this is what's going on with me. I need prayer. I need you to call me and, and hold me accountable. This is what's happening. The minute that I did that, it was like the key to the spiritual growth th- sector of my life turned, and all of a sudden I was free. Lies just put you in such bondage, in such darkness. And when you really allow the light of the Lord Jesus to shine and the truth to come out and for God to begin to work in that way, it's revolutionary. But this says, put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. We're all members of one body. It's very important that we do this because if we don't commit to being truthful, truth-telling people in the body of Christ, we bring the lights down in the whole building, you know, for all of us. And it hurts 
the body of Christ. Next is, is a really fun one that no one has any trouble with. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. First of all, I think that, you know, one of the things people sometimes do, modern people, they look at the Bible saying, like, the devil. They laugh a little bit, you know, Um, (laughs) because they don't really believe that that's a real thing. But the truth is, you know, we are giving the devil, the real devil, the opportunity to meddle with us when we open ourselves up in big and small ways, uh, like this pastor is talking about. And, you know, the the biggest lie the devil ever told was, I don't exist. I'm not there. Uh, But there is an adversary in this world who's prowling about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And even though you don't recognize him, he's there. He's trying to get a foothold in our lives. And this passage is saying, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down when you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. It's an interesting statement because it's, it's assuming that you're going to become angry, you notice. It's assuming you're going to become angry. Anger is actually not a bad thing. Anger is something that an emotion that we feel that comes up, it's not a sin to have anger. It's not a sin at all. But anger is potent stuff. Anger is potent, powerful stuff. And it's very volatile. Anger is like a torch. You're holding a torch, right? You could be in a, think Indiana Jones. You're in a cave walking in the dark. You're holding the torch. You're looking ahead of you. Sometimes anger can give you perspective. Sometimes it can be used as a tool. But it's volatile. When we hold anger and we don't allow it to be uh, put down at the end of the day, when we hold it in our hand, um, it's volatile. And when we sin in anger, it's like dropping the torch and you realize you're in a giant puddle of gasoline. And the whole building and your friends and your family gets swallowed up in your anger. So anger is not a sin, but it's volatile. And that's why the body, uh, the body is encouraged to not let, let the sun go down on your anger. It's very important that we deal with our anger as you would with an untamed animal, uh, like an untamed horse. You have to, it might rise up in you, but you have to put the kibosh on that anger because it's volatile and it has to be dealt with. And, and you can make the whole thing go up in flames in a moment. And that's why the Bible teaches us, please, Make sure you discipline that anger. Don't give the devil a foothold. It's one of his favorite ways to get into our lives. Uh, I think that's why it added this verse in 27, don't give the devil a foothold. It's one of the devil's favorite ways to needle his way in, being angry, being angry. Anger leads to amazing things. Have you ever gone to sleep angry and woken up angry? Have you ever gone to sleep angry and woken up in the middle of the night angry with your heart racing? and lost sleep because you're angry, and the anger, then you get more and more angry. It, it's, it's volatile. It destroys marriages, destroys families, it destroys churches. So the Bible says, anger is not a sin. But in your anger, do not sin. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. This is a good thing to probably uh, put into practice. Every day, do an inventory. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. You don't want to unlock the door to your spiritual house in your home, to the devil, and you don't want to unlock the spiritual house of your church to the devil. Um, we don't want to be that person that invites that kind of chaos in. Amen? <laughs> I 
Let's go on to the next part here. It says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, Christians obviously don't steal, right? Does anyone have a $20 bill here? No one? How rich are we? Hey, Steve, you got a $20 bill? Is it in your pocket? Pull it out. So you have a 50? You're rich. <laughs> I want you to turn around and stare in Andrew Jackson's eyes. All right, just keep staring. Now hold it closer. Now higher. Just stare into his eyes. Now loosen your grip. So, sometimes Christians steal. And um, thank you, Steve. When we lose sight of God being our provider, we steal. Christians do steal. When, they, when people fail to remember that God is the provider of everything that we have, that's called idolatry. God is the provider. We, are not, we have jobs, but we are not our provider. God is our provider. You can lose your job next week. God is your provider. Some of you have lost jobs and are looking for jobs. God is your provider. To believe that you are the provider puts you in the place of God. I've heard so many stories about God's provision. God is a faithful provider, never is a righteous man or woman forsaken or begging for bread. Um, Ask the body if you need help. Ask the Lord especially. The Lord provides in many different ways. So when we lose sight of God being our provider, some people steal. They honestly do. When we lose faith and, and, and worry about how we're going to pay for, you know, diapers and food and formula, that is a time when Christians are tempted to steal. They lose this um, reliance on God. And they fail to appreciate, um, sometimes people fail to appreciate the good gifts that God has given them, and they, and they steal for that reason. And one of the things that people don't talk about all the time is that stealing, for many people, is just a rush. People just like the adrenaline of it. It's like any other addiction. Um, the, the rush of adrenaline that, that releases the happy chemicals in your brain, that's the excitement that makes people steal, and they can become addicted to that. So sometimes when people, it's like gambling or any other addiction, it's just that rush. God has created us to have happy chemicals released in our brain when we do things that he's designed us to do, like exercising, like, uh, um, like worshiping him, uh, Smiling can release endorphins in your brain, happy chemicals. Um, having intimate friendships where you really, really share with other people, uh, that can be a very life-giving thing that where your brain releases these happy chemicals. Um, you know, sexual expression within the covenant of marriage between a man and a wife, that's something that can release that happiness, uh, the happy chemicals. But what we've done, we're a very addicted to society, we've wanted a shortcut to the happy chemicals. So all the things we become addicted to are simply us wanting to feel happy. And so we do things to make our body shortcut how God's designed us and go right to the good stuff. And it often takes more and more of whatever you're addicted to to get that same effect. Anything from gambling to pornography to stealing to anger. People are addicted to anger. Losing it, think of how good that feels to lose it for about one half a second. It feels awesome. You're releasing this happy chemical in your brain. Uh, And then, of course, the accompanying shame that comes upon you. 
But many times people steal because they're simply addicted to it. And they need the Lord Jesus to set them free from that. And so telling the truth about that addiction uh, to, to someone in Christ being prayed for, the Holy Spirit can set people free from that bondage. Uh, but these are the different reasons people steal. And what this is saying is, anyone who's been stealing, and this is written to Christians, so he's saying Christians steal. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Good advice, right? But must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. It's taking that emphasis off of like me and my family and our needs, and it's saying, look bigger than yourself in the body of Christ. Think about how you can contribute to other people's needs in the body. And that's why you shouldn't steal. Get a job doing something useful so you may have something to share with those in need. Uh, another reason where uh, people steal is because they don't want to work jobs that they consider to be not as honorable as other jobs. They don't want to work at a lower-level job or a service-oriented job or a manual labor job or a blue-collar job. And actually, who Paul is talking to here the, the language he uses is talking about this service kind of industry, the, the blue-collar, manual labor kinds of jobs. And what Paul is saying is, if you're not working because you're too proud to work uh, what you consider to be a, a lower-level job, whatever that means, you need to get off your butt and get a job. Like your pride is keeping you from being, a, from being a contributor to the body of Christ, to people who are in need, and also... Your pride is making you steal secretly. Like, this, this is a pretty ugly thing. And, uh, and that's likely what Paul is addressing here, people that just will not work jobs that they consider to be lower level. Um, but let me put it this way. Jesus, God was God in the flesh, God of the universe, came and became a man, died on a Roman cross as a convicted criminal in the, in the eyes of the state for our sins, and we're not willing to work at McDonald's? Seriously? <laughs> I mean... Get, get three part-time jobs. Get four jobs. Work is a great thing. Anything you do, I, am, I get so sickened by the way that people talk about, talk about work and, and like make a hierarchy of work. Work is work. Work is good. College-educated, not college-educated, work is awesome. Like, work. Do something useful with your hands. Work is a pre-fall gift from God. Before sin came into the world, people were working. And it's a good gift that God's given us. And there's value in work, no matter what the work is. I have had just as cool of a ministry working as a janitor at Dick's Sporting Goods and as a order filler at Walmart Distribution Center in Johnstown. Just as cool of a ministry as I do here. You know, this is, this is great to do uh, on, a, on, a, on a bigger level of talking to more people. And this is how God's, what God's called me to do. But if I wasn't working here, I'd probably go back to one of those kinds of jobs. Because these are honorable jobs uh, where we can make money, we can contribute to people who have needs, and we can reach people for Christ. Like, it's awesome, an awesome thing. So never let anyone tell you or devalue any kind of work. Work is work. Work is a gift from God. Jesus came to serve all. You know, many times the things we look down on are things that um, honor God greatly. Whatever we do, we're supposed to do for the Lord. Um, as unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. We work with our hands. Next section. This is a tough one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that might benefit those who listen. What this is saying is, do not share statements that are bitter, sour, and discouraging to other people in the body of Christ. And the rule of thumb for me is, Whenever you speak to someone else, assume that they are not doing as well as they appear to be doing. 
That's what I think. In church, you sit next to someone and they're smiling. They seem like they're doing pretty good. Assume that's not the case and just be as encouraging as you possibly can. Don't share bitter and sour statements that make someone discouraged in their discipleship, but just remind one another, God loves you. God can redeem your life. Your sin is not too great for God. These are all things that are absolutely 100% true, so why not say them? You know, encourage one another daily um, with these things. Remind people, it's not by your works, it's by the grace of Jesus that you're saved. You know, you don't have to worry about this. Jesus has taken care of the sin problem. You know, so many people are just a hair away from a divorce. They're just a hair away from losing faith, yet they appear to be smiling and happy and radiant next to us in church, but they're, they're, that's not how they are really doing. So it's best to err on the side of this person might need some encouragement and not let any unwholesome statements come out of your mouth or things that are negative, things that would drag them down, but assume that you need to say things that build them up. And that's what this is saying that might benefit those who, are, who listen. We, we don't know what everyone's needs are, but when we do know people's needs, let's say things to encourage them that are true about what God can do for them. Take their problem out of the human realm and put it in the God realm. God, God is bigger than this. God can handle this. Um, and, but when you can't see there's any problem, still encourage them. <laughs> Just encourage them. We all need so much encouragement. And I have benefited so much just from things people have shared with me over the last six months. Some things stick with me for days, some for weeks, some for months. Some of the things people say to me, they, they are so life-giving, I think they'll be with me forever. Just things people say. You hear testimonies all the time uh, where people say, you know, I was suicidal and all this, and then uh, I was at Hannaford, and someone said, have a nice day, really nicely, and they seemed like they really meant it, and it like blew, blew me out of the water, and I knew that it was going to be okay. Like, you hear this stuff all the time. But in the body of Christ, you know, we just kind of forget that sometimes when we begin to, to kind of say sour things that sour the whole atmosphere and talk about other people, and it just becomes kind of ugly, but I encourage you as strongly as I can. Assume other people are doing poorly and encourage them with the truth that God is bigger and that God can help them no matter what they're going through. It says in Hebrews 3.13, be, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, this is an expression of the kindness of God. God has repaid this entire debt that we can never repay. And so now we pay forward that kindness to other people out of the abundance that God's shown us. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Everyone who is a Christian has been given the Holy Spirit according to the Bible. And when we gather as the church, it's like a whole bunch of people coming together who all have the Holy Spirit and we form a larger expression of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is Jesus's spirit. It's the same spirit that was in Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. The same spirit that was in Christ because the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus, that's one God. The Holy Spirit was in Jesus when he died for our sins on the cross. And now the Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. The Holy Spirit lives inside of every believer. So when we do these kinds of things, lying, stealing, um, sharing bitter statements and discourage, and being discouraging to everyone around us, all the things this passage is talking about, when we're shooting ourselves in the foot, keep in mind, the way that God hears about that is not like a bird from Bambi, like flying up to the clouds and and like passing it on to an angel who then brings it along to God who's sitting on a cloud with a harp. You know, that's not how it works. The Spirit is in you. 
and the Spirit feels grieved. How awkward is it to, like, lie to someone when Jesus' Spirit of truth is in you, the same Spirit that died for the lie that you're telling? <laughs> it's awkward. I'm just saying, we've been given such a gift in the Spirit. Uh, and how awkward it is for us to just live as if Jesus does not live within us. The one who died for our sins, the Spirit that was in Christ when he died for our sins. When we're lying, stealing, tearing other people down, the words we say, Jesus is right there with us, inside of us. It's a heavy thought, you know? (laughs) I can always tell when I grieve the Spirit. I can just feel it. I can feel it. You know, like when you like do something and you just, I've definitely, it's more than the conscience because your conscience can kind of get wacky over time. You can like have conscience about things that you shouldn't feel guilty about and then not feel guilty about things you should feel guilty about. Conscience can be sketchy. And the longer we live in this world, the more that can happen. Your conscience is wonky. But the Holy Spirit uh, inside of you, you can, you can really feel when you grieve the Spirit and you are going to grieve the Spirit. It's okay. It's not like there's shame upon you. Everyone grieves the Spirit. I've grieved the Spirit this week. We're going to grieve God's Spirit. My encouragement to you is work with the Spirit. There's a reason that God's given you the Spirit. He wants, he wants to, you to feel his grief so that you can then turn to him and say, you know, I'm sorry about that, and he can, you can be restored and continue on in your journey of sanctification. Continue on in your journey of becoming like Christ. It's an encouraging thing that the Spirit is within you, and the grief of the Spirit, even though it hurts to feel like you've grieved the Spirit. It's a gift from God because it pushes you towards this life that honors God in a better way. So the Spirit is really a gift. Do not grieve the Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In our final section, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's a lot, it might feel like a lot of negativity. This is not, this is good stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is God telling us you know, politicians especially, politicians, they're always tearing down other politicians' words and offering nothing in their place. Like, I'm going to deconstruct everything that guy is saying, but I have no alternative vision. God has an alternative vision for us. God, everything in this passage has something different that you should do instead of that thing you were doing. It's an alternative vision. And it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Uh, bitterness, rage, and anger. Anger, rage, and bitterness. It's an endless cycle. Bitterness is like you take your rage, your, you take your anger, you have rage, and it's so delicious that you freeze it to share with your company later. And, so, yeah, and that's what bitterness is. It's like, it's like an ice cream cake of rage and anger in your freezer, and you just save it in the basement for whoever comes along. So you're bitter. You're secretly bitter. You act nice, but you're bitter. And, you know, some of us have, like, all these extra freezers that we're paying crazy bills for to keep this bitterness nice and cold so we have it for later. And there's, like, no end to the amount of bitterness a person can have. You can have a... You can... Seriously. That's why he's saying get rid of it. This is toxic stuff. Bitterness, rage, and anger. Anger, rage, and bitterness. Brawling means shouting. If you are shouting in your Christian home at each other, or the kids, understand you need to just stop. It's really destructive. Uh, And slander, talking about people behind their back, um, uh, and every every form of malice is really a catch-all. This is is the the cherry on top of the ice cream cake of, of bitterness. These are all things that we would all agree, these are not 
good to have. Yeah, these are things that are in the body of Christ, and we have to do business with these things. We have to deal with them, because these are things that will shoot the body of Christ in the foot. These are things that when they are evident, what it means is the person who is practicing these things has lost sight of the debt that God has forgiven them, and they've, they've begun walking around, giving themselves allowances to, to do this. Um, this is my personality. That's, this, is just, this just makes me mad, and so I... I feel justified in losing it. I'm free to lose it. Um, this is just my personality, you know. And we, we move with it. We forget what a great debt Jesus has paid for us. So all of these things, some of these things are so ingrained in us. They're such well-worn paths in our consciousness, in our hearts. They're very difficult to change, these behaviors. And uh, part of the reason it's difficult to change is because we can't change them alone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that sealed us We need to heed the voice of the Spirit. Because the Spirit, you can feel the Spirit's grief in you when you do these things. Instead of feeling shame, turn to Christ, the forgiver of your sins. Ask for forgiveness. Bring it into the light. If you need to bring it into the light with a brother or sister in Christ, the freedom that will bring will be exponential. Exponential. Because there will be other people to hold you accountable and help you to get out of the rut that you're in. But... I think the two, the two keys for, for really getting free of some of these really destructive behaviors, number one, realize the debt that God's forgiven that you had that you can never repay. Just like the, man, the banker in the story, this is an insurmountable debt that's going to destroy you in this life and in the next. And God paid it. God paid it. Jesus paid it all. When you have that thought in your mind, you're just willing to do anything. You're like, I'll do anything, God. I'll do anything. But all God is asking is that we treat other people with the same love, kindness, and grace that he's treated us with. And when we don't, all these different kinds of behaviors follow. That's the first key, realizing the debt you've been repaid from and treating other people uh, the same way that in Christ God forgave you. And the second thing is, realize that the Holy Spirit is the only way to change. Surrender. Surrender these things to the Holy Spirit and invite him to do the work that only he can do. So Tim's going to come up, and uh, he's going to play on his guitar. And I just invite you to do business with God. That's, that's my thought this morning. That Look at this passage. Look through the things we've talked about. And they've been descriptions of different behaviors that are, that are negative and are, are very hurtful and harmful. And I'm just inviting you to do business with God. Tim's just going to play instrumentally for us. And uh, for a few minutes... Talk to God, pray, bring, bring everything into the light, and ask God for God's transformation. We can't do it by ourselves. And so we'll give you the next few minutes to do that, and then we'll close. Holy Spirit's at work on some of these issues in your life. Don't leave this place without doing business with God. You can be delivered from anything. Anything. No matter how deeply ingrained it is. I've been delivered from several different addictions. I've been delivered uh, and God is continuing to work in me in this partnership uh, to become like Christ. And sometimes we limit God by saying, this is just my personality. This is who I am. I'm just this type of person. 
And the Holy Spirit says, don't let your personality limit what I want to do in you. The Holy Spirit wants to get in your personality and change those things that are destructive. They're destructive. What the Holy Spirit's doing in me um, as of late is last week on Easter after church, we were in the car and uh, we were all in our Easter clothes and we were going to take pictures at my parents' house. And But then uh, Cohen, my zero-year-old, uh, peed his pants and it was the only ones that matched the rest of the family. So we had to put them in the dryer. And then, uh, and then we, and, and uh, so we were running late and I'm like, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay. I hate being late. It's a thing about my personality. I hate being late. That's who I am. Everyone's got to deal with the fact that I do not want to be late ever. That's my per- permanent personality characteristic. <laughs> and, um, and then we forgot the, uh, and now we're running late in service. You're welcome. I'm almost done. Um, and then we forgot the pants after we put them in the dryer. So we had to turn around and go get the pants. And then I was really, then I just started like driving like, you know, and then I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just being awful. This is just who I am. This, I'm just, I just don't like being late. And I get very frustrated when I'm late. But I realized that that's not just the way I am. That's a sin, you know, being, being that way. And so I really feel like the Lord said, be gentle, be more gentle, chill out. Um, you're only type A in this one area. Chill out, man. The Bible says, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. I've always, I know what that passage means more now than ever before. The Lord is near. Don't, don't worry. Be gentle with everyone around you. So I've been working on that with the Holy Spirit's help to be a gentle person, allowing God to change this permanent personality characteristic of not being happy when we're late places. And I tell my kids, I'm like, Elias, is daddy a rough daddy or is he a gentle daddy? He goes, you're a rough daddy. He's like, he's like you're always like, let's go, vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> Which is really funny, you know. Um, so I'm just trying to be more gentle and, and trusting the Holy Spirit with this. But whatever the Spirit's doing business with you on this morning, uh, this is, it's very important just to come to the cross to realize that you've been forgiven a debt you could never repay. You can never be good enough or do enough to earn your salvation. It's a free gift of God. And then just to walk in the freedom of learning these lessons, of putting these things behind you by the Holy Spirit's power, surrendering your life deeper and deeper to the Lord. And in that, we find the fullness that we've been looking for in all of these addictions and problems that we've been walking with and walking around with. And, and we will find the body of Christ built up in Saratoga Springs. We will find the church built up. So I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. You are loved. You are fully accepted by God through Jesus. And the Spirit is within you to give you the power to overcome all of these things which so easily entangle us and harden our hearts. I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, And I dismiss you if anyone wants to stay after and pray longer, feel free. Everyone else can make their way to the lobby. Thank you for coming this morning.